0: Oh, welcome to LX2 Codependency Coaching. For those of you who don't know, I am Stella and I am also recording this live on Instagram. So if you get an opportunity to check out the video, you can uh, see my face and also listen to the podcast. Um, doing some writing this week, I did actually finish up the essay on abandonment, which was a challenge and um, definitely a lot deeper than I had intended to go, I don't know, I always intend to go deep because that's where the meat of the subject is, but sometimes it's a little bit more challenging than um, than I anticipate because I'm like, oh, let's just do abandonment. That seems like a good idea. And then, you know, I dive headfirst into whatever I'm doing. So, um, also, uh, you know, I, this week, brought up a lot of different things um in terms of the loving better content. So, uh for those of you who are just joining us or, or are new to the idea, um loving better is a component to the codependency work that I hadn't anticipated um kind of creating, but it is so important to the self-love part that um it's become its own thing and so the loving better component will have its own like workshops and Um, eventually kind of a group situation um, and those things are on my website and we will be promoting them soon but uh, in the vein of loving better and really recognizing the challenges that come with the codependency work um, I'm always processing uh, with a girlfriend and colleague who does a really great job of of supporting me not just in an accountability way but like in a way that we talk about these concepts consistently um, because I think sometimes when I'm by myself, I get in an echo chamber of doom and terrible. And so she helps to bring me out and she's like, okay, let's look at this in a different way, which I love. It's really helpful. Um, But one of the things that had kind of come up in doing this was recognizing uh, the addictive property of codependency. And um, it's interesting because... When codependency kind of became a thing, um, I talk a lot about uh, Codependent No More and I recommend it to a lot of my clients. Uh, It's a book by Melody Beatty or Beatty, depending on what part of the country you live in. Um, But her model is based on Al-Anon or um, AA and a 12-step addiction program. Uh, It doesn't fit for everyone, which is kind of what made me really look at wanting to write something different from a different perspective or lens uh, because my lens is not the addictive model, right? It's certainly that's part of it, but it's not the only model to look at codependency. And because codependency can happen in families and in in systems that do not have addiction, um, it looks different. But there is an addictive component to being codependent. And part of It doesn't fit for everyone. Absolutely. And so that's what makes it a challenge when I recommend the book and people start to read it. They're like, that's not how it showed up in my life. It doesn't really fit for me. And I'm like, stick with the book, um, because there's a lot of helpful information in it, but it does not necessarily come from a place of addiction. Um, and so for those of you who've kind of read some of the essays on my website, which will eventually become chapters of my book, um, I didn't grow up in addiction. Uh, my parents were not real big substance users. My dad smoked a little pot, but that was it. Um, and my mom, uh, is she's not totally in a prohibition kind of no alcohol, but she just didn't really use substances. Um, if she was addicted to anything, it was kind of anger and rage. Uh, but those are the the foundations for my codependency, is that I grew up in this unpredictable... Um, erratic kind of environment that also, um, you know, was sometimes a little bit more uh, difficult because my reward system was triggered by uh, what we call in the industry, uh, intermittent reward. It is a psychological term uh, that is used for kind of inconsistency, in terms of how reward is received. And so praise, um, any kind of positive response, if you're not getting it consistently with the things that you're doing, you don't ever know when it's gonna happen. Um, and so it's a really great way, <laughs> uh, people use it a lot in a psychological way to think about um, the addictive properties of gambling. So uh, for example, using a slot machine, you know, you're kind of using it you know, regularly and, you know, upping your bed or doing whatever, but you don't get the reward consistently, like it's unpredictable. And so we use that term a lot when you grow up in uh, trauma or with uh, kind of chaos, right? And I, I use the word chaos because it, it's never predictable. Like there's, there's um, regular things that happen, right? We get up in the morning, we get dressed, we get ready for school, we go. But if you're growing up with a parent or parents who are inconsistent in how they, you know, reward you or, and, and when I'm talking reward, I'm talking about just like love, you know, regular uh, attention or whatever. Unfortunately, we can't always be in a super happy, fantastic mood. And so it really is dependent on what's going on in our family. Um, And for me, it was, you know, Helping kids get ready and do all the things. And sometimes that worked out really nicely, and sometimes it didn't because my mom was having a rough day or having her own feelings, which she totally, you know, had the right to do. And we as parents know that, you know, I'm going to wake up in a shit mood. And sometimes that's going to look like frustration and yelling and inconsistency. Where I love my daughter, but, you know, if we're like trying to go, and I would always refer to my daughter as kind of pokey, like she just moved very slowly. And she still does, like she moves in her own time. Uh, But when we, when she was little, that was frustrating, right? So I would get frustrated and I would get angry. Anyway, that kind of gives you an idea of that inconsistent reward that I'm talking about is that even though I loved her, you know, if she was moving slowly or couldn't find her shoes or couldn't do whatever, I would get frustrated probably because I was having big feelings and then, you know, doing the things that she was doing would not contribute to, but it definitely wasn't helpful to then my mood and how I reacted to things. So that gives you an idea of like the chaos that I grew up in was, uh, you know, I would get yelled at or, or get in trouble for things that I was, you know, supposedly doing correctly, but it just didn't necessarily feel positive, right? So that inconsistent reward or intermittent reward system triggers our our anxiety, right? It triggers our abandonment. It triggers our, you know, um, nervous system so that we are responding from a trauma place, okay? Uh, That's the kind of very quick and dirty description. But anything that triggers our or activates our nervous system makes us respond in a way that we're not quite sure what to do. So we get ah, freaked out. And I know for myself, it triggers my abandonment. Um and so what it also does is when I get the reward or the big payout or whatever, um I get really excited, right? So I'm like, "Yes, that's working. It's happening." Um now we're going to superimpose that onto relationships, not just romantic, but in general. If you have that inconsistent reward system activation, you are going to do whatever you need to do to get the positive reinforcement or the good feelings. Um, And so that positive reinforcement can look like endorphins, right? It just, it feels good. It feels good when somebody tells us we're doing a good job. It feels good when somebody, you know, is giving us attention in a positive way or whatever that is. But if you grow up in chaos, if you grow up when that reward system is inconsistent, we never really know, like, is what I'm doing triggering that positive response? And it's a challenge because oftentimes, especially when relating to anybody, we want to have a positive response, right? Our mirror neurons really respond well to positive responses, right? And so if you think about just like going to the coffee shop, a lot of you are headed to wherever you like to get your coffee. I strongly recommend Cutbow Coffee because they're amazing and local to Albuquerque. Um, But, you know, you go to your coffee shop, you're in a mood, you're doing a thing, you look up to the barista or whoever's you know, doing great customer service and they smile at you, right? And so you smile back because that feels good, right? And if you're having a shit mood, you're like, what are you so fucking happy about? But if you are getting that positive reward, you're going to want to do that more, right? So then you get your caffeine, very exciting, it's delicious. And then you're like, okay, I can restart. Totally good. Um, But that kind of response, that interaction is inconsistent, right? Because we have a day, like just a regular ass day. Um, I can assume it's cold at at home. That's a little bit chilly here. Um, When when it's cold at home, people drive terribly. And um, you know, somebody's gonna cut you off or not use their turning signal. Certainly from home, if you're not using your turning signal, that's kind of typical, but it's very frustrating. (laughs) So your mood is like up and down the whole time, right? You get to work, it's cozy you have very few meetings or whatever it is. And so you you kind of, your nervous system relaxes, right? You've got your coffee, you've got your, you know, you've made it to work, whatever that is, and you relax. But our nervous system is triggered all the time. And so if we have chaos, right? If we have um, that intermittent reward system activation, we want to seek out what feels good. General, Kind of the way humans work is we seek out what feels good or what feels easy or what feels neutral, um, but it's difficult to do that in relationship specifically, right, with anybody. Um, and so, the challenge then becomes how do we ma- how do we maintain neutral? How do we maintain neutral if not positive um, when we are interacting with other people? Now, the challenge comes in when. I get my value, my worth, my validation, my love from other humans. I they're unpredictable because they have their own experience, they have their own nervous system, they have their own feelings and I can't control any of that. But what I will do is try to make it as neutral if not positive as possible because the kind of human that I am, I want to be able to, you know, get that positive reward, right? So I'm going to go into the coffee shop I'm going to smile at the barista. I'm going to be like, hey, can I get this, whatever, coffee. Um, they're going to smile back. That feels good. I get in the car. Awesome. I'm going to listen to music or I'm going to listen to a podcast, maybe this one, and I'm going to feel good about that. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to deal with humans. And in my job, when I worked, my humans would come in and it was my job to hold space for them. Uh quick funny story. Today is my brother's birthday, and um, my brother is amazing, and 34, I don't know how old he is, he's 16 years, sixteen years younger than me, 33, anyway, 34. Um, he's an engineer, a very good engineer, he's a mechanical systems engineer for a big company, and they do engineering things. Um, we have a disconnect in understanding, because one day he said to me, how do you fix people? And I looked at him and I was like, sir, I don't fix anyone. Um, But as an engineer, I can understand where that question comes from. And what I told him at the time was, I don't fix people, people fix themselves. Uh, I just hold the space for them to do that and I can offer them tools and that's my job, right? I say that because um, that is the only job I had was to create space and to be able to talk things out with them so that they could fix themselves should they choose to do that, which is amazing. Um, but when we're in relationship with other people and it's not your job, uh, you still want to do that, right? You want to be able to, uh, let me tell you all the things and let me fix whatever is going on and let me make your day better, right? Let's just start with the baseline, make your day better, right? So I'm going to send a good morning text. I'm going to be like, hey, how is your day? Tell me what's going on with you because that's the kind of human that I am. But I realized that I can't fix anything because I can't go and you know transport you to a magical tropical island. I can only be present. And it took me years to figure that out. Um, but that was how my day would go, right? So I get to work. I hold the space for people. They come in. They bring their challenges, issues, whatever. And I hold space for them. A lot of times we would unpack all their stuff. Um, I would talk about how a lot of times therapy with me looks like a version of hoarders where we take everything out of the basement, we look at it, um, we hold on to what is absolutely necessary or what has worked in the past, um, and we recycle and then we throw things away. So that's a quick and dirty version of what therapy looks like with me or how it looked before. Um, but one of the the interesting things in doing the writing that I have been kind of going through is I never fixed anybody that was not my job it's not how I do things but in my life in just being Stella not the therapist it it was a mission for me to like seek out humans and be like let me try to fix it um not my job can't do that that being said what I do recognize is oftentimes, again, back to the addictive nature of codependency, is we want that validation. A lot of times, when when I say, "Oh, you sound a lot codependent," like let's look on that. What they pers- pers- <laughs> presume is that codependency is a dependence on other people. It is not. Um, what it is is feeling as though we need that external validation, we need that external love, we need that external acceptance from these other people to feel good. The other thing is, we get addicted to feeling needed. Now, I just want that to sit with you for a second, because that doesn't necessarily feel bad, it's like, what's wrong with being needed? Well, um, what we create is a dependence of other people on us, and so, when we are saying yes all the time, when we are doing those extra things because we need those other people to love us, uh, we create that dependence. They are dependent on us for us to do extra things for them. That feels good for us, stimulates our nervous system in a good way. We get endorphins. We feel all warm and fuzzy because people love us. Um, but they, you know, what really happens is they love us for the things that we do for them. Now, I'm not saying all people and I'm not saying all the time, oftentimes people just love who we are and how we show up. But if we are doing those extra things, because that's, you know, what we've learned is if I do all these extra things, you should love me. Um, that's not really helpful. And again, it feels like control. I've said that in the past. I know that with clients, when I say like, do you have a hard time when people tell you no? Um, yeah, people do. It's also not consistent, right? And so because they they have their own moods, they have their own feelings, they have their own experiences, you can show up in the best way possible doing all the things, right? Even just neutral things, right? Good morning. How was your day? All that stuff. And they're going to have their own feelings. They're going to have their own experience. And so they are not always going to reflect that you know shiny, happy, great response that we like to get from other people. And If they are used to us doing all these extra things, when we stop doing that, we may not be getting that positive feedback or positive response. Um, Learning to say no, and and certainly we'll get into boundaries, and and I kind of sprinkle them throughout, but learning to say no is loving you better. Learning to say, I can't really do that right now, or I don't want to do that right now. That is taking care of you first. Now, If other people are used to you doing all the extra things and you say, I don't really wanna do that, or I'm not really in a space to do that right now, or I don't have the capacity to do that right now, uh, they may not like it. And they're totally entitled to feel how they feel and have that experience. And you have to be okay with it. Gross, right? It feels yucky because we don't wanna disappoint people. We don't want people to feel bad negative feelings except for they're going to, they do, and they probably have felt several negative feelings throughout the day that you had nothing to do with. But our nature, as people, I say our because I am a recovering codependent and I recover every day, but I don't like when people, you know, have a negative experience, especially of me. Um, And so I've had to tell clients, no, right? Um, Have a problem with uh, hugging. I have said it a lot of times in the podcast before. It's like I, I'm in the deprivation of it, so I would love a hug right now. Uh, and you know who you are; you would love to hug me. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, I don't hug my clients generally, uh, and there's a reason for that. And mostly, it's because I don't want to touch other humans. Um, but I also absorb a lot of energy, and so when people have a lot of energy, whatever it is, negative, positive, whatever. I, it's a lot for me to touch another human because then I take that on. So whether or not you believe in that, totally a thing. But I, (laughs) I recognize that for me, if I'm having a really heavy session and we're processing a lot of heavy things and we've unearthed a lot of stuff, I can't hug you, right? So I'm going to say no. And, and I know that like, it's hard to hear that, especially if you are a hugger. But I, I'm gonna say no. Right. And and it's hard for people to hear, but they accept it. And then, you know, once we get to that place of like you're doing great and your energy is awesome and you know, whatever, I may hug you. And I will ask, is it okay if I hug you? Um, but I had to start there, right? I had to say no. Uh, especially now after like COVID and all the things. I'm pretty germophobic anyway, so. I'm not a handshaker necessarily, and so I will tell people no. And I know there are lots of people who are huggers, and I used to be. I just am not anymore, especially from that energy transfer. And so there are people who are, there are people who aren't. I have to say no. It's a thing. People are uncomfortable with it, and or they're fine, right? But in that space and certainly in that context, I had to get really comfortable with saying no. And I've gotten so much better at it. And my clients are much better at going, okay, you know, it's totally fine. They're going to have their feelings about it. They leave. It's great. Um, and if they are super offended and they never come back, like, that's fine. I totally get that. Um, but in my job, and certainly when it was my responsibility to hold space for people, I was not trying to fix them. But then I would go into my life and, you know, Then I'd be like, cool, there's a person and I just want to fix them, right? Um, It's interesting, and I had posted something about people being works of art. Um, For those of you who know me and spent any time in my space, you know that I love art. I mean, I'm covered in it. I've got tattoos all over the place. But I also just really love works of art, sculptures, music, paintings, whatever, And I collected a lot of it. Um, What I love about art is that it's subjective, right? It's whoever makes the art makes it for themselves or makes it because they're creative or makes it because it's an outlet for their energy or whatever. Um, But it's subjective to you how you see it, right? And human beings are very much that, right? They are beautiful, rich, you know, textured, colorful, beings that are perfect just the way that they are. And so when you go into a relationship, and I can only speak for myself, I have gone into relationships seeing this beautiful textured, amazing human, um, and then, you know, start to see the rough edges. We all have rough edges, right? I have rough edges. I have a very large zit on my face today. Uh, I'm also, you know, a non-hugger. But Once we start to see those kind of negative or uh, not so beautiful parts, there are parts of us that want to fix that, right? And I can tell you as someone who has rough edges, I don't want to be looked at as less than the beautiful, amazing piece of art that I am. I don't want to be looked at as a project. I don't want to be looked at as someone who wants, who needs to be rescued or saved. I can tell you right now, I am rescued and saved. I have done that myself. And and I'm also grateful for the people who have shown up in my life who just see me for who I am. All of it. Um, dang, the emotions are happening. But I can also tell you that um, I can tell you when we were on the road trip, my girlfriend and I, my partner and crime and all the things, um, she had said this. Phrase, and I, it was like really hard for me to wrap my brain around. I think I've said it before, but I'm not sure. What she said was that one of the things that she loves when she is being loved is that she has seen all of her parts at the same time. i will let that sit for a second because it seems kind of a heady big concept. But once I was able to recognize it, and once we were able to kind of really talk about it, what I recognized and what she has made very clear for me is that when we are seen completely, all of our parts at the same time, the good, the bad, the ugly, the weird, like all the stuff and just seen, right? And loved all of those parts at the same time. That is the most amazing feeling. It is the most incredible way to be loved. And it's not that I needed fixing and she needed fixing and all the things, but That's what it feels like when somebody really sees you and just beholds the amazing, beautiful piece of art that you are, right? Um, When that doesn't happen, it feels very heavy. And I've said before, and, and, you know, certainly they've made posts and stuff, we fall in love with people. And a lot of times, I know for myself, what I have fallen in love with is potential. The potential for somebody to be amazing. I have never, ever, 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 ever bought a piece of art and said, oh my God, I could totally make this better. (laughs) Like, not one time. What I have done is looked at a piece of art as complex and complicated and colorful and textured and amazing as it is and said, I love this piece and I just want to look at it, right? I just want to see it. Feelings. (laughs) Um, so, when I see someone that I love, you know, actually, truly appreciate, I see all the parts at the same time, and I love them for who they are, and I don't have to change anything. Um, and that's hard, because sometimes we fall in love with someone, and we recognize they have struggles, and they we recognize that they have challenges, I can tell you, and I, I know I've made posts about it before, but like the first time I fell in love, like truly just whoa, amazing, uh, was my human. Uh, they handed her to me and she had these beautiful brown eyes and she just looked at me and I fell in love with her, like immediately. Um, She just texted me, which is really kind of funny, but anyway. um, And I saw her for the beautiful, tiny, messy human that she was. And then (laughs) in raising her, I tried to fix her and tried to change all the parts that were challenging and difficult for me. Fortunately, I didn't fix her. I supported her. um, And she rebelled every time I tried to fix her, right? She was like, fuck you, I'm not doing whatever it is you want to do. I'm not going to clean my room the way you want me to clean it. I'm not going to... I do my homework because you want me to do it. I'm going to do it when I want to do it. And she did. Um, but I recognize that now, right? And so when we go into a situation, especially with someone that we love, and we try to fix them, that feels like guilt. That feels like shame. And I feel bad. I recognize now that I look at older, ver- like past versions of myself with a lot of empathy and compassion and recognize like where that need came from, because I felt less than, um, and she and I are great now and you know, we have great conversations and she turns to me when she has challenges, problems or issues, which I am so grateful for because I know that I can't do that with my mom. I love her and I accept her for who she is, but I know that she doesn't look at me in that same way she wants to, but she doesn't. And, I have this amazing relationship with my child because I have done the work to recognize that she doesn't need fixing. She just is. And she's an amazing piece of art all her own. Now, oh, so many feelings. When we fall in love with people, when we love people, any people, I'm um, say fall in love, but I just mean love, right? When we truly care about someone and appreciate them as the beautiful pieces of art that they are, we have to be accepting of all of their parts at the same time. We have to be able to see them, really see them, and recognize that they are exactly how they need to be, who they need to be, and how they show up in your life. Now, that's challenging in and of itself. Here's the next piece, and we might go over today, but to really have love and to love in a a complete way, we also have to be able to let it go. And I do this with my hands. Um, For those of you who have been my clients and certainly my friends, you know that I am a true believer in the be the bowl philosophy. Um, But I am I am just receiving of whatever beautiful gift comes into my life. And I don't hold on to it really desperately. Kind of quickly back to my art. I let almost all of my pieces go. Which was really hard because I love my art. Um, and it's really difficult not to buy more art, especially while I'm traveling. But I only have the one bag now. And so I'm not collecting more stuff. But I art is meant to be seen. And it's meant to be appreciated. Um, just like humans. And so I let it all go. I think I saved like four pieces. And they're hanging in, you know, homes of my friends. Um, so that they can be appreciated. But I couldn't hold on to them. And so I let them go. And so that also has to happen with the humans in your life, uh, especially your tiny humans. Once you grow them and they do great and you foster all of those things, they're supposed to leave, you know, if if they're lucky enough to do that. And you have to be able to let them go. And so you have to detach from the outcome. And that's a really big phrase that I use a lot in therapy um, because especially as a therapist, I can't hold on to the potential uh, outcome of what was going to happen if I held the space for these humans and they, you know, got better because they fixed themselves, contrary to my brother's perspective. Uh, (laughs) And then they would go, right? And a lot of my clients, you know, really struggled to even just let me go. But, you know, they did. And they're great. They're out there in the world teaching these skills and saying things. So I feel like it worked out. Um, but that detachment piece is important to be able to just let something be, not fix it, just appreciate it and love it and let it go. And if it sticks around, that's amazing. And if it doesn't, that's really challenging. (laughs) But in order to love myself better and really recognize that my place on this planet is not to fix anyone. It is not to change anyone. It is only to appreciate them in the moments that I get to spend with them. Difficult to do when your codependency says, they're going to leave and and I'm not going to have them and and it's really scary and I don't like that. And so I'm going to do all the things I need need to do to hold on to them and keep them in my life and do these things, even if it's not healthy, even if it's not helpful, even if it's challenging and kind of gross. I don't want to feel abandoned, like we talked about before. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to do all these extra things to hold on to them. And it might not be helpful. I have done that for sure and abandoned myself to stay in relationships because they were comfortable, to stay in situations that were not helpful to me. They were not loving me better. In fact, I was giving up parts of myself to stay in something. And certainly in certain relationships, I was giving up big parts of myself and shutting myself down to stay in those relationships because people had a title or because, you know, I was afraid to be alone and all the things. So that was a big, long journey today. I need water. Now, here's the addictive piece. You're going to feel uncomfortable. As you let people go and as you let people come and, you know, have your experience and be part of your life, they aren't going to stay. Not always, you know, and always is relative because we don't know what forever looks like. Feelings. Uh, <laughs> produce not. Um, So the addictive part is that we don't want to feel uncomfortable. That's the truth. It's why we do the things that we do because it feels really scary when people leave. It feels really uncomfortable when we make big changes and the people who have benefited from you doing all the extra things don't want to stick around anymore or they don't fit in the life that you're trying to create. Now, one of the things about addiction from an addictive, pers- like addictive model, and, and I, um, I have done some substance counseling and, you know, taking the classes, all the things, part of why an addict continues to use is because they don't want to feel uncomfortable, either physically or emotionally or whatever it is. They don't want to feel those particular feelings, which can be really, really uncomfortable. And I say uncomfortable, but I also mean just like some of it, it could be deadly, Um, And so we are going to do anything to continue to feel normal, if not bad. And so that is the addictive part of codependency is I'm going to do anything I can to not feel uncomfortable. And the hard part is that you're going to feel uncomfortable as you set boundaries, as you set limits, as you let people go, it's uncomfortable and it's okay. You're going to get through uncomfortable. You're also going to learn that the people that stick around, the ones that do not benefit from you doing extra things but just appreciate the beautiful art that you are, they're going to be there and they're not going to do extra things. They're just going to show up and appreciate you. That's a healthy relationship. That is healthy love. They're going to see all of your parts at the same time and love them all. That's your journey for today. I will be posting the essay on my website. Um, if you have questions, if you have insight, if you want me to talk about this again, you're gonna have to say words to me because I can't read your mind, and I'm far away. So I got really close to the camera there for a second. Yeah, see, bookers. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I am so grateful for all of the people who listen to My podcast and watch um, watch my videos, and I appreciate your comments. I am so grateful for all of you. And you're very welcome for you know seeing this journey on my face. Um, It's not been easy, but it's definitely worth it. So keep working on you and loving you better, and I'll see you guys in a week. Take care. All right. Well, that was a very emotional um, podcast and I said all the things that I needed to say in all the ways that I wanted to say them, uh, even the emotional boogery parts. (laughs) So if you appreciate what you're hearing and you want to hear more, uh, check it out. Check out my website. The essays are posted there as I publish them. If you have questions, reach out to me, lx 2cod dot coach at gmail.com. I will talk to you soon. Um, take care.